Hey, you're listening to Nach Stories, a deep dive into the fantastic anecdotes of ancient Jewish history to highlight how these incredible events, this bedrock of Judaism, is as relevant today as ever. Yeshua led Klai Yisrael through successful battles, through a successful division of the land. He led the Jewish people through miraculous events. In fact, Klai Yisrael followed Yeshua in some ways even more than they did Moshe Rabbeinu. The entire Chumash is replete with Klai Yisrael's rebellions in the Midbar and the trouble that we brought the problems we caused, and yet, with Yeshua, we did not have those rebellions like we did before. The rebellers were weeded out, and only the good guys, the loyal members of Kaisal, remained. However, we did have one significant flaw. You see, Hashem told Kaisal the mitzvah was to go into Canaan, obliterate, destroy, and wipe off the face of the planet all of the Goyim in Canaan. Have no mercy. This is not the place for mercy. They had the option to leave. We offer them to leave. The 31 kingdoms that remained were to be obliterated. There was not to be a single vestige, a trace of these. However, while Kaisal did kill much of the enemy, there were remaining survivors. And as the Jews turned away from Hashem and our faith wavered, those bands of remaining Canaanim, they grew, they flourished, and eventually came to overpower Klal Yisrael and enslave them. How did this come to be? Who were the leaders that led us through these tumultuous times? Well, let's find out. You see, Yeshua died at the age of 110. Parenthetically, that is the same age that Yosef HaTzadik passed away. That generation, the generation that lived with Yeshua, remained perfect and loyal to Hashem. They had experienced and remembered. They lived through the miracles that Yeshua had led them through. However, following the death of Yeshua, the next generation experienced a transformation. You see, when you experience miracles, you see it firsthand. There's not that much you could do to challenge that experience. But one generation later, they were relying on their faith. These Jews didn't actually see those miracles, and they began to doubt the stories that had been passed down to them. That was the beginning of their downfall. They began turning away from Hashem, from the Torah and Mitzvahs, and turned to other faiths. They didn't begin by bowing down to idols. First, they just studied and explored the other religions, and then the luring and exciting components of those other religions drew them in. The moment that they strayed, the energy, the power, the strength and the leadership that Kali Yisrael possessed was then given over to the other nations. They gained strengths and threatened Kali Yisrael's existence. In fact, a Malach showed up to Kali Yisrael and he gave them a quick review of Kali Yisrael's history. If you recall, gentlemen, Hashem took you out of Mitzrayim. He 
blasted the Mitzrim with 10 makas. Besides, for the 50 makas, at least 50 makas, that happened at Kriyas Yamsuf. Then he brought you through the desert and kept you in that cocoon of spirituality. With the Mun, with Ananiah covered. For 40 years, you guys actually heard Hashem speak at Har Sinai. He appeared to you and gave you the, gave you his Torah, and ultimately, he brought you in Teretz Israel and gave you the land. He conquered all the nations through a series of miraculous victories. Now, says the Malach, why are you turning away from Hashem? Ideally, Klai Israel should have heeded his words and done Shuva on the spot. But then Nach wouldn't be as exciting as it is because they did not. And they did not heed the Malach's warnings. So Hashem sent Kushad Rishasayin, a Kanani nation, to enslave Klal Yisrael. They didn't just enslave them, they taxed them heavily, they harassed them and tormented them for eight years. Then, the first leader of the Jewish people arose. He wasn't a king, we didn't have kings at this point. They were Shaftim, uh, they were leaders, and Poiskim, you know, uh, they presided over trials and laws, halacha, deciders. The first leader was Asniel ben Kanaz. He was a tremendous sandik, a very well learned, righteous yid. And the Gemara says that he, in fact, brought back all of the Torah that had been forgotten until that time. Such was his genius and his learning prowess. Under the leadership of Asnil ben Kanaz, he returned the peace to Klai Yisrael and led Klai Yisrael for 40 years. From him, at the hel- with him at the helm, they learned Torah and developed and strengthened their bitachon and their banish bar- However, after Asnil ben Kanaz passed away and Klai Yisrael was left alone, they once again strayed from Hashem. In the moment that we deserted our loving father, the Moab nation rose up against us. The king of Moab at that time was Eglon. He was brutal to the Jews as the other kings were. He enslaved them and harassed them. And instinctively, when we are oppressed, where do Klai Israel turn? If not to our loving father in heaven, waiting for us to come back home and return to Hashem. And Hashem, with his endless Erech HaPayim, took us back. No issue. Rabbi Nachman points out that these experiences in our history is not just an ancient tale. This is, in fact, a story that each individual Jew can relive every single day. Sometimes we replay these stories multiple times a day. You know, we can forget Hashem between Shachos and Mincha. And yet, when we come back, Mincha, and we remember who is leading us through our day, who is giving us every breath, every heartbeat. Hashem welcomes us back with open arms. Under the torment of Eglon, the Rabbanu Shalom sent us a leader, someone to help us and guide us back to Hashem. Release us from the clutches of Mayav. He sent them Ehud. He was a tzaddik and not just a righteous, righteous man. He was, in fact, a very gifted, powerful, and skilled warrior. The Jews were forced to bring gifts to the Moavi king Eglon, and Ehud appointed himself as an emissary to deliver gifts from Klai Yisrael. One day he arrived at Eglon's palace. 
bearing an extraordinarily large extravagant gift for his royal highness. Eglon was in his throne room surrounded by guards. Now there was something that made Ehud stand out. Not externally, but Ehud was in fact a lefty. Now being left-handed, when one draws his weapon, he pulls it from the other side of his body. So a righty would put would pull his sword, his dagger, his weapon from his left side. Ehud had his dagger on the right side, hidden under his cloak. The guard did a quick check. Ehud lifted up the left side of his cloak to show that he wasn't carrying a weapon there. The guard, assuming that he was righty, allowed him in. And so Ehud had passed the first obstacle. Having passed security, he presented his gift and announced to Eglon, Devar Hashem Lecho. I have something to tell you from Hashem. I have a Devar Hashem for you. When Eglon heard that he had a holy message, he asked that his guards leave them alone. And he stood up out of respect for the name of Hashem, excited to hear the message of the Rabbanu Shalalem. With the guards closing the door behind them, Ehud was left alone with Eglon, standing before him. Ehud drew the dagger from the right side under his cloak and plunged it into the folds of fat in Eglon's belly. He was a remarkably heavy-set individual, so much so that the dagger was entirely enveloped, swallowed, in his stomach, Eglon slumped into his throne silently and died immediately. Having done the deed, the last obstacle was escaping. Ehud left the room silently and told the guard that the king was busy in his chambers and was not to be disturbed. So while the guards waited for Eglon to finish doing his business, Ehud escaped. But after a while, after too much time had elapsed, the guards became curious and they entered to check on the king and found him dead. With their king dead, the Moab army's morale was damaged, to say the least. Ehud ran back to, Cly to the encampment of Kleistral. He gathered the Jewish army. He mobilized them to attack. And they rode out to fight. They are pressing Moavani. In this battle, the Jews, led by Ehud, killed more than 10,000 of their men, and the rest of their army fled. The victory of this single battle thereby released the Jews of the Moavi oppression. The Gemara points out that Eglon was a guy, and yet he stood up for Hashem's name. We have to stand up when we hear Divrei Kedusha, when we hear Devar Hashem, such as Amen. In during the evening. In fact, we are given the power of speech to use it for Divri Hashem. The Zara says the opposite, that if someone uses his speech for the wrong things, if he abuses his speech, he may lose it. There are hierarchies of which Amain takes precedence, and Yehesh Mirabo is the highest of the high. That Rizal says, right, it even comes before Baruch Hu, that Rizal uh, uh, explains that Yehesh Rabbah has an extreme power, unfathomable 
energies. The Gemara also says that Hashem, our loving Father, loves having us at His table by His Mizbeach, enjoying a Suda Kaviyachon. Hashem had to drive us away from His home because we didn't deserve to be there. And while it was the best thing for us, it still hurts Him Kaviyachon. He swore us away and can't let us back in until we're ready. But he misses up us sorely. And the Gemara says that when Klayasol says Yehish Meirabah, he sheds a tear. And those tears causes, cause hurricanes and tornadoes and has tremendous effects all over in, in every world. And every one of those tears are gathered together and shortens the gullus. The Zara points out that we have a Kaddish Yasam said for departed ones. The words of Kaddish themselves has no mention of death or being orphaned for that matter. It's simply a praise of the Rabbanu Shalom of Hashem. That Rizal points out that the Rosh Tevas of the first three word, words, Yiskadal, Ve'yiskadash, Shimei, is the words Yoresh, an inheritor, a descendant of the parent. This praise of Hashem is so exalted, it's so holy, it's so high that the deceased Neshama is taken and lifted and raised above from levels of Gehenim with each recitation of this Kaddish. That is our Devar Hashem. We have to make sure to stand for it because Eglon, a guy, he stood up for the Devar Hashem. The Satan tries so hard to fight us to make sure that we don't stand up for the Devar Hashem because the longer the Gullus, the better the Satan is because we're not going to have the Satan after the Gullus. And Yehesh Merabah is going to find him unemployed. We have to be at least better than Eglon. In fact, Azariah says that there are special places in heaven, in the Oilam Haba, for those who say Yehesh Merabah with Kavana. Following this event, Klayashol experienced an 80-year period of peace. And then Ehud, their beloved leader and warrior, passed away and as history repeats itself the Jews again began to stray this time Yovin the king of Canaan took up the mantle of torturing Kal Yisrael and he had at his side a crony a ferociously evil general by the name of Sisera Sisera was heartless he would kill parents in front of their children without giving it a second thought the cruelty of Canaan caused Klaistral tremendous anguish till they called out to Hashem. This time, the leader that arose was none other than Devira. Devira was unique in that she was a woman to lead Klaistral. The Gemara has a number of points on this topic. One is that, in fact, there were no men who were righteous enough to lead Klaistral during this time. On the other hand, this shows us the tremendous tzidkos of woman. She was an Ashes Chayel and a Via. She was called an Ashes Lapidos, a Lapid Ash. She was a flaming fire. The tefillahs that she dav and the chesed that she did were done with a tremendous passion. With an Ash. Be'ishe Yisrael. She was the judge, the head, Poisik, of Klal Yisrael. Not like the uh, reform rabbis that we've uh, heard of in our days. The Gemara says she was entirely tznius. There was never a situation of yichud. That's why she sat under a palm tree. 
In fact, they wouldn't even see her. She offered her knowledge, her wisdom, her nevuah to whoever needed. As far as a military excursions, she appointed Barak, which is translated as lightning. His name was Barak to lead an army against their arch enemy, Sisra. Now, this was a far greater challenge than any other battle because Sisera had advanced technology for that era. He had what it would be equivalent of an armored tank today. He had these wagons with unpenetrable thick metal plating. So they would fight, they would shoot their arrows at it and it would have very little effect. And from these wagons, from their tanks, they were able to shoot ballistics, their arrows, and cause tremendous harm, suffering very few casualties. And Barak realized that this battle was going to be an uphill battle. Naturally, there was no way to beat Sisra's army. They were far superior in every way, shape, and form, except that Hashem was not on their side. However, he asked Devira to accompany Klal Yisrael, the Jewish army, into battle to provide moral support. And she agreed to prove that it is but Hashem who wins the wars. It's not military prowess. Together, Barak and Devara led Klal out to fight Sisera and his 900 tanks. And as you may have guessed, Sisera and his entire army were demolished, defeated, and humiliated. Sisera managed to escape on foot, hoping to make it back to the city of Yavin and Canaan to regroup, gather a new army, resupply, and prepare for another battle, and perhaps save face. Now traveling on foot is exhausting. And as he was making it across the land, he was looking for somewhere to rest entirely wiped, drained, depleted of energy. He saw a hut in the distance, lodged in the woods. As he approached, he realized that no one was home but a woman. A woman by the name of Yael, the wife of Hebra Kaini. She was in fact waiting outside as he approached. He went over to her and asked for some food and some temporary lodging, somewhere where he can recuperate. Yael responded enthusiastically. And she agreed. She says, in fact, I've been expecting you. It would be an honor to host such a respectable, such a famous, such a strong, powerful general, such as yourself, Mr. Sisra. He was flattered. And he came inside to relax, regain his strength, recover for the rest of the journey home. Next, Yael offered him a warm drink. And the Gemara explains that this was warm milk because one of the oldest cures for insomnia is warm milk. She... Gave, gave him this drink with the intent to make him sleepy because her alone would not be able to overpower this tremendously brutal brute of a general. Now for what she did next, Yael received a bracha equivalent to the Imais. She was compared to the holiest woman of all time. The next thing she did was the worst type of sin, the worst crime, the worst Avera possible. The Gemara says that what she did was an Avera Lishma. She did an Avera, but with absolute pure intent, earning her ranking with the Emois, so Rivka Rechavalea. 
she offered him herself to Sisera to tire him out to make him fall asleep. In doing so, she was disgusted and nauseated by it, but she did it anyways, degrading herself to be able to kill this general that was threatening the lives and the existence of the Jewish people. A sin for the sake of the honor of Hashem. Now, without going into Kabbalah too deeply, the Arizal says that Eli, the Kain Gadol, in the times of Shmuel and Avi, will get to Meretz Hashem, Bez Hashem very soon. Eli is the same name as Yael, the same letters, because Yael and Eli shared a neshama. How a neshama can be a male and female is a discussion in itself. Yael had a tremendously holy neshama. In fact, what she did earned a shira, a special song that the Torah sang for her. wants our hearts, and the only thing that we can offer Hashem that's truly ours is our heart, our intentions. Saying a bracha wrong may come out, the words that someone may utter by mistake may be in, in terribly insulting things. Nevertheless, if he says those words of tefillah with a loving, yearning, sincere devotion, they are accepted by Hashem with a deep, loving affection. Says, those confused words Hashem accepts when they are presented with love. Now, Yoel, back in the tent, had Sisra sleeping. She dragged him from the bed onto the ground, face up, and then courageously, she took a tent peg, a stake from the tent, and a hammer. Then methodically, coolly and calmly, she aimed, raised the hammer, and rammed it, kneeled it into the head of Sisera, straight through his skull into the ground. Sisera now had the greatest headache that he would never know about. One-way trip to Gehenna. There's a discussion that maybe Yao used a peg instead of a sword because of uh, Beged Ish. It may be inappropriate for a woman to walk around with a weapon, so she used the tent peg instead. Now just moments later, Barak, the Jewish general, passed by on his horse, and he asked Yael if she had seen any trace of Sisra. Well, in fact, all that was left of Sisra was a trace. She welcomed him inside, welcomed Barak into her tent, and showed him the figure decorating her her carpet. Barak rejoiced and brought the news overjoyed to Devarah. And hearing the support, Devarah sang a shira, a song of praise to Hashem for saving the Jewish people and for all of the tremendous nisim, the miracles that they had witnessed. Following this event, the Jewish people experienced 50 years of shalom, of peace and tranquility. In the next stage of history, we move into the Svarim of Shoftim, the chapter of history, when Klyasro was led by the judges, each one with their own intriguing, epic, unbelievably tantalizing and thrilling anecdotes. Stay tuned. Thank you for learning with me. Have a wonderful day.